Welcome to the Round 6 Podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion featuring a variety of automotive subjects, interviews, special guests, and stories, hosted by the Round 6 Gearheads, Brian Stubsky, Alex Welsh, and Brad King. Here on episode 42, it's a New York-style Italian double stack featuring the father and son duo Dave and Dom Tucci of Tucci Hot Rods and Dom Tucci Design. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Brad. I'm Alex. And tonight with hey. us, uh, we're fortunate to have uh, not just one, but two Tucci's. Well, it's kind of weird, two Tucci's for Tuesday. Uh, we have Dave and Dom Tucci joining us here. Welcome aboard, guys. How's it going? How are you? Hey. We are awesome, and it is it is a pleasure to have you guys, as uh, we kind of went over earlier today. I mean, our audience wasn't on the phone for that, but uh, suffice to say, it's great to finally get you guys on here. I've been meaning to talk to you guys about so much stuff for so long, and uh, now that we're here, I can't remember any of it, so we can all just sit in <laughs> silence and <laughs> kind of hang. And, um, suffice to say, though, uh, you guys, man, you have forged a heck of a name for yourselves over the past, what, 21 years? 21 years, yeah. Wow. Congratulations on that, yeah. by the way. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, you have built some of just the, the most incredible vehicles over the years. And, and you guys really span like a, a huge breadth of interest. You don't just build one style car. You know, it's not just like, oh, it's another pro touring Camaro from the Tucci guys. No, we, we actually strive on not doing something twice. Way cool. However, okay, let me ask you a weird question then. If you could do one car again... <laughs> I always wanted to ask this. Yeah, if you could go back in time and and redo a car or do another car. Well, yeah, that's that's good either way. Yeah, that's a tough question. Well, we're kind of making a similar Model A to the one that we came out with 2015, the brown two-door sedan, the Um, real low car. Yeah, yeah, that thing slammed. (laughs) Yeah, doing a little bit different style one, but same, uh, you know, same chop and same stance and everything yeah so we kind of copied the same frame and and all that but we're this one's going to get a coyote in it and this this one's something that we're you know the customer's really going to beat on and not that the the other car doesn't get driven on freeways and everything like that it's just a little bit different twice or three times the horsepower in this compared to the other one whoa (laughs) The thing this, weighs 75 pounds, it should probably run pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the only one right now that we've done twice. If I were to do another one, you know what? There's a car that I miss that I don't have anymore. It's a little track tee that we did for Syracuse Nationals for a giveaway car. You know, I remember that car. I mean, was, it, was the gray one with the red scallops, was that the car? Yep. Yeah. Yep. yeah. I remember, I remember that, car. that car. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that that car, I don't know, there was something about it. It wasn't the fastest car in the world, but I don't know, I just fit in it perfectly. Um, we had a little four-cylinder Ecotec in it, and um, I don't know what it was about it, but 
we, we had it for what we do for Syracuse. We'll, we'll build a car, we give it away, and then we keep it for a year. Because these cars always get done at the last minute, you know. So we'll give them away and we keep them so everybody can get their, you know, all the sponsors get their um, right recognition and all that stuff. So in that year's time, we bring it around to all kinds of shows and wherever. We actually brought it out to SEMA. But in the meantime, I'm driving it. And I was in it every day. I think I put... 2,000 miles on this car before the owner got it. Nice. <laughs> well, just testing on Just Yeah, test right. right. <laughs> Comes with a new set of tires. Here's your, here's your free car. <laughs> that car was really cool, too, because that had, that had a lot of that, that East Coast style to it, but it wasn't like the, the typically radically channeled, you know, kind of Northeast car you'd expect. It was, it was really trick. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was definitely different. I think, what'd you start with that? Just the nose cone, the shell of the body and the motor? Yeah, and that's always, I made everything else around it. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and then, you're, you're no, uh, you're, you're definitely no stranger to cutting stuff up. Oh, no, I'm not afraid to cut anything up. <laughs> well, the car, the car didn't weigh anything, so how did it run with the four-cylinder? It run pretty good? Yeah, it ran good. We actually, uh, for, I think it was the second annual uh, Optima, streetcar event that they had out in Pahrump after SEMA. Right. We got invited, uh, we got like one of those golden tickets. I don't know what they called it back then, but we got one of those tickets to go run up there. And um, they let us do, let's see, those events then they had, um, they had a zero to 60 to zero competition. They had an autocross and then they had the road course. So with that, I had those little track, tractor style tires on the front so they wouldn't let me go out on the road course but we did the whole zero to 60 and and autocross and that was a bunch of fun um there's a couple shots of it doing burnouts coming out of the zero to 60 the zero uh competition was pretty cool <laughs> way cool like driving a big go-kart out there and that sure. was a set of radials that thing would kick ass on the autocross i, I think it would yeah yeah it's speaking of doing burnouts and stuff, you guys are no strangers to doing donuts. And uh, I mean, this is quite a few videos out there with. Uh... <laughs> Saw some Subarus getting pulverized on your videos. Yeah, <laughs> we like to mess around a little bit. Yeah. So, so going back, what? what uh, how do we do this? Where did? Uh, where did you know? Where did the shop? What was the genesis? Where did everything begin for you? Well, I can give you a little backstory on me quick. So growing up, my father, now that we didn't really tell you, but this is three generations into cars. Um, but my father started out, he had, you know, he had hot rods and he had a tea bucket that he used to take me to Little League with. And, uh, you know, he'd pull up in this open wheel blown tea bucket, um, which was cool. And then at and see, coming home from Little League, he'd let me drive it. So what, what, how old are you in Little League? 11 years old? Middle school? Yeah. <laughs> right. So he'd let me drive <laughs> standard long <laughs> T-bucket. That was the start of it. That was There was no going back from that. Um, growing up, that's all I did is my father built cars and 32 Chevy, four-door sedan he had to build because – 
uh, me and my brother were, were getting older and we traveled around with that. And then we got older and he got rid of the 32 and built a, uh, 33 Willys with a blown Keith Black Hemi in it. And it was a real Keith Black aluminum block that was in Freddy Castronova's uh, top fuel funny car. So right on. <laughs> sent the block right back to Keith Black, and they drilled all the block out to make it a water jacket because on those, the front of the motors weren't drilled. Um, they were just all solid. Um, still had water jackets in it, but no provisions for a water pump. So we did all that, sent it back, and then we searched through. Fr Freddie's place was right around the corner from us, so we were, grew up with those guys. So we looked through his whole pile of cylinder heads he had, and every single one of his cylinder heads were cracked from running nitro through them. And they were of steel cylinder heads back then. So we found a set that were steel, had those done, and we had the motor built for a street car. And uh, that, was, that was a crazy car, <laughs> for sure. But uh, growing up, my father wasn't, he wasn't a mechanic per se, like professionally. We were Maytag repairmen. So we had a, an appliance store that I worked on washers and dryers and delivered washers and dryers and went and serviced them and did that all through high school. And uh, I think on my 15th birthday, he bought me a, a 63 Falcon. Very I'm like, cool. you know. I wasn't, I wasn't into, I wasn't a Ford guy then. I don't even know what I was then, but he, he bought this car for me and I looked at it and it was kind of little and it had skinny tires on it, had a six cylinder in it. And honestly, I didn't have any vision, but he actually did. So we, you know, I had it for a little while working on it in my garage, um, bought a 289 V8 and put that in. I drove it to high school for a while. And then that car just evolved to, let's just say the final step of it was a next step down from a pro mod car. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right on. <laughs> yeah, a full wedge 529 big block board with a 1471 alcohol injected four-speed Lanko. <laughs> I mean, it was everything you could possibly think of that uh, it was still in like a little pro street style car. But uh, I did some testing with it and the car ran, I don't know, maybe like 530s at 145 in the eighth. Um, and that was pedaling it and on and off gas and grabbing gears and trying to get it to settle down. And so never did make a full pass with that car. But it uh, it was the most fun I've had, you know, in a drag car for sure. Tell me a story about the cop. Okay. Yeah. It so I had on this. I had it. So before it was a pro mod car. It was a pro street street car with still a 429 in it. And I'm going up our local. We call it, it's Genesee Street. It's our local strip that we used to cruise on. And I get pulled over, and the cop comes up to the window. He goes, "What are you running in this thing?" He had a dog in his car, and the dog was going crazy. He was, we had just Cam 2 or something in it, but the dog didn't like it. And 
<laughs> made me pull over and he says, I don't ever want to see this car on the street again. You have to get out of the car to shut it off. Yeah, we I used to have a power sh- switch in the back, so I got out and, you know, shut the power off and stuff and he was he was just completely confused. He didn't know what to what he was looking at. <laughs> it had a wing on it and a parachute and all the stuff and this was in oh geez, ninety. Maybe 90, 80, 89, 90, something like that. Oh, <laughs> that's a good time too. But yeah. So, so what were your influences? I mean, growing up, like I mean, I I grew up in Western New York. You guys are a little more upstate. Um, what what were your influences? Because I mean, we were kind of separated from things back there. We didn't, you know, it wasn't really a hotbed of like popular, you know, kind of hot riding, the stuff you'd see like in Hot Rod Magazine, things like that. I think we had kind of a slightly different culture up there. Um, we had a lot of, we did a lot of street racing here. Um, you know, Camaros and a lot of pro street stuff. And that's where I got into it because I was building a lot of pro street cars for, for guys. Once they saw my car, then I worked on theirs. And it just kind of snowballed from there. I was like, man, I really, really like doing this, you know, and I hated going to not hated it, but I didn't like going to work on people's washing machines in their nasty basements and yeah, like that. So <laughs> yeah, this was a lot more enjoyable. So I'd work all day at the appliance store and then come and work all night in the high rod in our little 30 by 36 garage. So right. Cool. So what was the first car you, uh, let's see, full project you, you put together professionally? Professionally was uh, this little Roadster. That So back up one thing, the, my Falcon, I stripped it because I was going to build a full tube chassis for it. So I took the chassis out of that and put it in a Fox-bodied Mustang Ooh. and then sold that to a guy in Erie PA and then he had a little roadster that he wanted me to build and it had like a, a Boyd front end under it. I don't know if you remember the Boyd independent front suspension. Oh yeah. That machine aluminum uh, control arms and stuff. So he had one of those and I ended up, I don't know how far I got on it, but that was the first outside of state customer that I had. Because I did a lot of guy, a lot of friends and cages and pro street cars for some friends around town, but that didn't really pay much. It was just more like because I love doing it. Which is kind of the way everybody starts, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. This is fun. It's not going to be too serious, boy. Yeah, yeah. Look how that <laughs> yeah, works. I'm going to make a lot of money doing this too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that uh, that was that was okay. That that turned out halfway decent. That car. Um, and I don't know what the next one. I think I built another roadster for a local guy. That was a full build. Um, it was a thirty black thirty roadster with a small block Chevy. And actually, that was the first I first motor that I did fuel injected. Um, took the intake manifold that had like a, a manifree manifold on it with four deuces and made adapters for the 
deuces to slide them sideways and then drill down through the um, fuel bowls and installed electronic injectors in there. So I don't know if you've ever seen the Moon Eyes carburetors. That was directly where I, where that came from. Wow. How did it work? It worked great. It worked great. That was before we could get um, wiring harnesses. So that car had some sort of GM harness built in, but then Rob Ida had made he's done he had done a bunch of fuel injected stuff. So I brought it. We we were friends at that point and brought it down to him, and he put this little piggyback thing on there and was able to tune it. And that car is still on the road today with over twenty or thirty thousand miles on it. Same fuel injection, same archaic operating uh, system. It's still all there, same way. Well, I had to cool. say it worked. Yeah. Yeah, it worked. Yeah. Way cool. So so moving forward, at, at what point did uh, – were, were you in your own shop by the second car? Or were you uh, still no. – I started it in a little garage and had a discussion, I think, with, with my father – and my wife, well, I don't know if I was married at that point. Yeah, 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 I was married. So to decide if we wanted to do this for a living. So they, my father backed me completely. My wife backed me completely. And we're like, all right, let's do this. And um, my father was still running the appliance store at the time. But he had bought a piece of property a couple miles away from the shop. And uh, he had again, a vision of building a building on it. And we both designed this building around building hot rods. And it went up. It was a 68 by 90 building that we're still in today and strictly to build hot rods out of. So it's, uh, it just, we jumped in with both feet and it's been amazing ever since. Outstanding. Absolutely. Yeah. So, let's say moving forward now. Hey, you're in your own building. You've got things going. Um, did you have a? Did you have kind of a plan? Did you say, okay, in three years I want to be here. In five years I'd like to be here. Or did you just kind of, you know, run it? I mean, the way I sort of ran my business, which was, hey, I'm in business for myself. This is awesome. And I, I had no plan at all. I, we just were. You know, we had little customers here and there, and we figured it'll all come. Um, but the the part that kind of changed everything was the green GMC pickup. I remember that one. So we had a local customer brought had this old 39 GMC pickup. He's like, I want to make a street rod out of it. He was like, all right. So he brought that over, and he had this 406 race motor that he had in some circle track car that he used to run. So I want to put that in there. So, all right. I go, what, what else? He goes, I don't care. Whatever you come up with. So we started laying it out. We knew what we wanted to chop the top. You know, we chopped it like six inches and the cab looked really good. And we were laying it on the floor and started. I had um, Gary Brown was working with me at the time. And we started laying out the fenders and stretching it out and just kind of making it 
almost cartoony looking, but just kind of a combination of custom and, and, uh, it just started to come together and look like really crazy cool. Um, so a year before we had started building it, I met, uh, Scott Parkhurst and he was with popular hot riding then. And he count come into town. They were, they had some sort of cruise or something. And, uh, they were looking for a place to go eat like a, a park or so I'm like, well, are you set on going to a park? And he's like, no, what do you got in mind? I said, well, just come to my shop and I'll, I'll feed all you guys. And you just come here and, you know, stop off. And he's like, oh, cool. So he came, he had a, I don't know if he had like 20 or 30 cars that came through and made a little shop tour and fed them. And ever since then, Scott and I have been good friends and, you know, we see each other every year. But when the truck started getting laid out, I sent him a picture. Now, then I had to take a picture, print it and mail it to him. Because there was no other way for him to see it. So I took this picture that had been all like the fender. They were all made out of cardboard, all painted, spray painted black. And uh, he got the picture. And back then, uh, popular hot rodding, street rodder, classic trucks, they were all like one office off of each other. So Scott called me. He goes, when's the truck going to be done? We want to shoot it. And then I think it was Brian Brennan called me. He said, we want to shoot it. When's it going to be done? And then Matt Emery from Classic Trucks called me. (laughs) This battle going on. They didn't even know they were awesome. (laughs) And this was, I think this was like January when I took all these preliminary shots of it just laying out on the floor, not hardly built, built. I said, all right, we'll meet you in Columbus, which was five months later. And we scrambled and it was just the two of us working on this truck and we ended up making it to Columbus and they were all fighting on who was going to shoot it first. Cause even they told us that only one magazine would shoot it. And then once one would shoot it there, the other ones were out. Well, they all shot it. Um, let's see. Popular Hot Rodding shot it in Columbus, and then Street Rider shot it when we, they told us to go to Louisville. Street Rider shot it there, and Classic Truck shot it in Louisville also. So that was crazy. And then while we were at Columbus with the truck, we met um, Chuck Caswell from Absorber. Right. And he invited us to go to SEMA with the truck. Now we were, I think we were, I was 28. And Gary was, I don't know, 19 or 20. And we both were just two kids that drove across country with this truck, not knowing how to do it or who to talk to. We didn't know a lot of people in the industry at all. And uh, <clears throat> all this stuff just started happening. It was nuts. So we, we go to SEMA. Now, the magazines hadn't come out yet because we're just getting, you know, doing all the production stuff on them. We go to SEMA with a truck. We hand roll and hand out 5,000 posters. I've still got one. <laughs> You're really going to say, I, I yeah. had mine on the wall for years. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I've still got one in my poster tube. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But at, at SEMA, I met Dan Sear from the West Coast uh, Car Show Circuit. Right. 
he invited me to do the West Coast tour while we were there. And this was like, this is the biggest whirlwind in the world. So we get invited to go to do the West Coast tour. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I meet another guy. Um, I can't remember his name, but he, he brought me up to a shop in Sacramento. Let me park the truck and trailer there. And then I kept flying back and forth from the East Coast to the West Coast during that whole winter, bringing the truck around to all the indoor shows. Wow. It was, it was nuts. It was nuts. Meanwhile, the owner of the truck is sitting at home going, Yeah, he, <laughs> you he guys done with it yet? Yeah, no, he, was, <laughs> he wasn't into it. He was, he, when I would give him like the magazine coverage, but he didn't travel around. I was the only one that took the, the truck all over the place. Wow. That's, see, that, that's going back to the way it used to be. That's kind of funny. Because yeah. today, you know, you would hand it off to either the owner or, you know, his representative who will, you know, contract with some guy to take it around and wash it and wax it. And that's crazy. No, we still do that to, today. We still bring all of our customers' cars all over the place. Outstanding. Yeah. And we never had anybody bring anything we built out anywhere. We've always done it ourselves. Good on you. That's a lot of work, man. <laughs> Yeah, but the so now it's in the kind of middle of not winter. It's about fall and let's see, November. Uh, the truck comes out on the cover of classic trucks. It's like, oh, my God, this is crazy. Then December comes. It's on the cover of popular hot rodding. And then January comes. It's on the cover of street rider. So three consecutive months, three different magazines. So I can say that one truck literally built our business in a half a year. Wow. That's and that, crazy. It was crazy after that. Just just crazy, all the stuff that we got tied into it. It was and the people we met, oh my god, this this industry is wacky. <laughs> it's <laughs> the best best industry I think in the world. Oh yeah, we we always we always say on here it it's not like an industry, it's not a job. It's like a family. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. And it's funny because everybody knows everybody. I mean, everybody knows who, you know, the crazy Uncle Tim is. <laughs> <laughs> so, I have I have one quick story and then I'll stop talking. I'll let Dom do some talking, but no, So, while I was traveling out on the West Coast, um I met up with uh David um uh, shoot, Featherson with uh, oh, wow. he, he was shooting. So he wanted to shoot the truck for an Australian magazine. So I'm like, great. So he met me in the yard that I was storing the truck and trailer in Sacramento. So I unload the truck and come to find out I had broken like a four link bracket or something um, from in the trailer. So I couldn't get it out of the trailer. So we we limped it out of the trailer, and he shot the whole truck just outside of line of the trailer in this salvage yard place. And so now I have a truck that's half broke. I think uh, I had a fuel pump going it, and I don't know. And I'm supposed to go to uh, San Mateo 
for the Roadster show, just to display it there. And now I tra I'm traveling back and forth by myself. There's, you know, my son's still in school, and and all my wife's taking care of him. Going to he's here in like elementary school at that point or something. Yeah, I was seven years old. Yeah. I suddenly feel really old. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I get to San Mateo, and I can't get the truck out of the the trailer. At the same time, I lose my luggage coming off the airplane. Oh, <laughs> no. By myself in San Francisco. Uh, can't get the tra truck out of the trailer. Don't know anybody there. I made a couple calls, and somebody said to go over to Roy Brizio's place. So I go over to Roy's, introduce myself. He goes, yeah, I know the truck. He's, he basically said, he, go, he brought one of his guys over. He says, here's a guy. You have him for as long as you need him. You have the shop as long as you need it. And what? And he drove me all over San Francisco getting parts that whole day. And that was, I think that was the beginning of knowing this industry, how good it is. That's so awesome. And it's funny too, because everybody comes together, no matter what it is, and especially when it's the car, that's kind of funny. <laughs> Absolutely. Just it's just good people who I think it's because we all understand the grind. You know what you're up against all the time, and you hate seeing someone else go through it. So, like when you see a post online, especially social media, it's like, oh, bummer that happened to you, and you move on. I think most of us kind of freak out and like, okay, what can we do to help this guy? And the network starts kind of buzzing, and pretty soon phone calls are crossing other phone calls. That's just really cool that your first experiences turned out like that. Oh yeah, and they they just got better. I think that's so, testament too. You're not a dick. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, we had a really similar experience this past SEMA uh, when we brought the Echo Sport out, and uh, very very similar experience actually. So we 3D printed the fender flares on that car, and um, you know it takes a while to print that stuff. And I was using the best material to like make it really, um, really nice, but it wasn't super durable. So the car was really only set up for that show. And then I planned on reprinting them out of a tougher material later. Well, staging with Ford, um, we're on the sun in Vegas for three, four hours waiting. And we ended up leaving the car and, and going to, I forgot what we were going to do, do a couple other things for the show. And we get a call from Ford, and they're like, you better come back over here. So we're like, oh, God. So we go and check it out, and the and the sun had warped all the fenders, and all of the structure on the inside of it was showing. There was all these you know, cross hatches and everything that were showing in these printed pieces that took me months to, to print and sand and paint and everything. And they're all bodyworked and painted and everything. And... Uh, we're like pretty used to stuff going wrong because it just happens so often. But this was pretty nuts. So we're like, okay, we're going to handle it. And Ford's like, okay, if you can't have it done by Sunday night, then you can't have the car in the booth. This was Saturday night when they said that. Saturday night. Oh, nice. so we're like, okay, this is going to be fun. And um, one 
somebody made a call to one of the other builders at Ford. His son had a body shop in Vegas. So that was one option. We called um, another friend of ours who has a shop out in Vegas and he made another call and they got us into this booth or this, this bay in the back of this shop um, that like sold exotic cars. So we're like, perfect. We have a spot to work on it. We drive the car back to the hotel. I start tearing the fenders off in the parking lot of the hotel, get most of them off. And my dad goes to the store and goes and gets sandpaper and a orbital sander and lights and stuff. Cause we think we're going to be doing this, you know, pretty late. And, um, and the guy calls and says, you can use the, the bay for however long, like I can give you the, the code to the alarm so you can lock up whenever we have never met this person ever and uh, just gave us that opportunity. So we drove the car over there and there happened to be a, a company wrapping a Camaro for the show in that same back area. So we pull up and they're like, okay, what's the, what's the problem? We're like, okay, we have to sand these all down and you know, rebody work them, get them figured out. And he's like, don't worry about the wrapping. We'll handle that. He's like, what color do you want to do? And so he, he made a phone call while we were there and got the material coming for the next morning. We have never met these people either. These were just people that happened to be there. And um, so he's like, take the night, just relax, come in early tomorrow, we'll get it done. So we get in early, we start heating up the fenders, trying to warp them back into shape and sanding them all down. And, um, he called Bo. Bo Vescio, yeah. Bo Vescio. And so he had just gotten off the plane and his car move in got delayed by a couple hours. So he and one of his guys drove out to the spot outside of Vegas and, um, immediately got out of the truck, started sanding on these pieces. So we got the, the pieces all sanded, rebody worked, sanded again, fit back on the car. And then uh, the wrap guys called another company and they came and detailed the car so that the wrap would stick and that the car would be ready to go. And we pull it back into the shop and those guys probably in a half an hour wrapped the fenders and it looks, it looked incredible. And we were able to get it back into the building by like seven o'clock at night, Sunday night. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, so, so when we saw the truck guys that Sunday night, it couldn't have been there for more than an hour or two. It right. was still warm. Was that the one with the bicycles on top of it? Yeah. 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 I know the yeah. truck. I yeah. know the truck. Crazy. That's, <laughs> that's so nuts. <laughs> it might, yeah. It had just got drug in there. Then. Yeah, that's crazy. We, we got in there Sunday night. We're kind of marching around. I remember walking through the Ford booth. Wow. Yeah, they left an aisle open for us so because we, we were at the other end of the booth. And they left it open so they didn't place any cars until we got there. And then we got in there, and then they started placing everything. That's so crazy. And it, it's nuts, too. We, we had never been in there prior to the show being open before. Uh, we, you know, you give us all access passes. We go kind of nuts and really take advantage of it. <laughs> but I, I couldn't believe too. I mean, for the amount of work you guys did, it makes everything else we've talked about during setup seem completely insignificant. 
Like we were, we were walking through there going, how are they getting all the carpeting down? This was what Monday night we were talking about that. Yeah. This just make yeah, it makes the carpeting thing look stupid. <laughs> That's nuts. So how how bad was your bleeding ulcer after this? <laughs> we're we're pretty calm guys. Both of us had the same temperament, I think. I mean there's there's no reason in panicking. It's only gonna make it worse. You either have to just give up or just put your head down and get it figured out. And that's what we try to do. That's impressive. Yeah. Wow. You? I, I know you, I've got my two, uh, my, my two cohorts here are going, Brian, have you, are you listening to this? Yeah. And I'm taking notes guys. <laughs> yeah. High strung Brian just took notes. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. But, uh, Man, so okay, so Dom. I mean, I want to get back to your guys' history and everything too. But, but Dom, um, how did how did you come into this, man? I mean, I I met you. Oh, we'll we'll save that how we met. But just how did you come into this whole crazy thing? Aside from you know being born into it, how did you wind up kind of taking a role? And what was it kind of a planned thing on your behalf? Uh, nope, not at all. So I. Uh... In high school, well, I mean, I obviously grew up in the shop. It was a huge, huge part of my life. I was here every single day. I would, I never took the bus. My mom would drop me off and pick me up every day. And um, so I would just come back to the shop every single day. And so I learned to weld when I was like seven-ish. Um, and so I was always like making stuff for class. I would bring in these ridiculous metal things for my history class. And my teacher was like, what are you doing? What is this? And, um, that was in like sixth grade. And so I was always like tinkering in the shop. I was always in the cars and riding four wheelers and go-karts and everything like that. And, um, in high school, like probably my sophomore junior year, I started to try to figure out what I wanted to go to college for. And I was taking a few of the engineering classes and that like came so easy to me. Like I kind of knew more than the teacher did. And, um, in the 3d modeling stuff, like I was way ahead of like everybody else. And, um, it wasn't like super fun for me anymore. And so I started taking graphic design classes cause that was more of a challenge for me. And, um, when I was looking for schools, I was looking for, graphic design, not even anything in the engineering world or the automotive world. And, um, came across this program at Syracuse university. I'd, I'd never heard of industrial design before. And it sort of combined everything that I liked into one thing. I like to draw, I like to make stuff with my hands. I like to 3d model, everything like that. It sounded like the perfect program and it's only 45 minutes from the shop and Syracuse is an, an incredible school. So, it was kind of like a, like a dream to go there and to take this program. And even still throughout my five years there, never thought I would be in the automotive world. And, but there was always like, I was always into it. I just never thought that I would, you know, do that as my career. And, um, it was my sophomore year in between my freshman and sophomore year. I got this internship at a um, local manufacturing plant doing engineering stuff. I don't even know. 
our friend got me the internship. They didn't know that I wasn't an engineer. <laughs> so I was working on Roundup bottles and doing like spray down tests and all this stuff. And I was honestly incredibly bored there. They didn't have like enough for me to do. I fixed a chair one day that was broken. It was just like not enough for me to do that. And I just found myself just thinking of cars the entire time and wanting to get back to the shop the entire time that I was there. And um, all through college, I was just, you know, thinking that I was going to go to a design firm or go to a company and do industrial design things. And in between my, well, it was a five-year program. So in between year four and five, I started to do some freelance work, graphics and um, a little bit of 3D modeling. And so I made up a name, just Dom Tucci Design, and started to do work under that. I met this kid, Nick. And so he, hadn't, he knew like a little bit of Metal Fab stuff before. And, and um, he came in and learned a, a ton of stuff. And that was right at the time where we were finishing up the 31 Model A. And um, we finished that up for Syracuse Nationals, debuted it. And then he was with us all through um, going to SEMA with it. So that was his first time going to SEMA. And um, he was kind of hooked from there. And while we were at SEMA, we were talking about, I was looking at the, at the Ford booth and I'm like, why don't we try to do a uh, Ford project vehicle? Because my dad had done one in 2000. It was much, much different back then to get a vehicle. But he had done a F-350 Super Duty Dually. Um, that was all slammed. And that's what we actually still use to tow today. Cross country. Very cool. Which is, which is nothing. But, yeah, we, we were like, why don't we go try to do a, a Ford car, see what happens. And so I actually wrote up a proposal for the Focus RS that was coming out. And uh, there was a lot of hype behind it. And um, and I sent in, you know, the initial letter that you have to send in. Was that when Mike called you? Or was it after the first proposal? I think it was after the first proposal. Okay. So, Brian, I think that's when I wrote to you about doing a, a rendering for it. We had talked a little bit about it. And um, I had never done renderings, really. I messed around with Keyshot and stuff while I was in college and and did one, I did a couple things here and there. But I talked to you, Brian, and, and then I was like, why don't I try to see if I can figure this out myself? And um, I you know, modeled the whole body kit and stuff and modeled the wheels, everything that I wanted to do with it, and um, did some decent renderings of it and put it put together this whole proposal that I was used to putting together at school for these big projects. So there was a ton of research behind it, um, you know, a reason for everything. And I think that sort of impressed the, the Ford team because they'd probably get, um, you know, pretty um, simple proposals in. And so I just wanted to, to make the best thing that I possibly could. And Mike called who's a really good friend of ours now and was like, I can't believe we haven't worked with you guys before. And so that was a pretty cool feeling. 
And so we wait and wait and wait for months until we hear back. And Mike calls and he's like, we only have three focuses to give out this year. One's going to Roush, one's going to H&R, and one's going to Full Race. And um, he's like, is there, any, is there something else you would want to build? And so I, I did a rendering of a Mustang because we're like, why not? And we didn't hear anything about the Mustang at all, but he's like, I found a Fiesta if you guys want to do that. And we're like, we will do anything you give us. So wait, the Fiesta was not on the list. Yeah. They basically found a car so we could do one. That's what the crazy part is. Jeez. And, um, yeah, and we, we put a ton of work into that car and, and uh, handmade all, all the fenders. But I, I drew the whole thing in 3D, so we had a really good idea of what the car was going to look like. And we, and we really um, followed to the, to the proportions and the specs that I had laid out. And uh, that was just such a fun project. It went over so great. I met so many cool people through that car and uh, got to do a lot of fun stuff. That's awesome. And so, okay, so you had said, you know, you start off in school. What was your original goal with industrial design? Where did you want to be since you weren't originally thinking about automotive? Um, so industrial design is incredibly broad. So oh, yeah. a lot of my friends uh, were really into sneakers and a couple of them like one works for Nike right now. Um, another one works for New Balance. Um, so you can go into like clothing design, sneaker design. Um, I was, I don't really know. I was, I was just not really f- super focused on one thing. Um, at the design firms, they, they do a, a bunch of different stuff. So I, I thought maybe I would do that. And, um, but towards the end of my senior year, I did my thesis was a an adjustable race seat that um, it actually worked and it was it's actually pretty cool. So I fabricated my had my dad help me obviously fabricate this crazy seat that the bolsters adjust so you can go from like street driving mode then you can hit the switch and the bolsters come up from the bottom and and towards you from the back and kind of like snug you into the seat and um, and a few of my teachers were like, we've never seen a project get done to this level. And um, so that was fun. And that kind of tied in my automotive stuff at the end of my school career. But, I know you've been doing a lot of stuff with 3D printing. And you were kind of messing with this stuff before it really started catching hold in the automotive industry, in the hot rod industry. And you're starting to see that more now. But you were starting to mess with that before anybody else was. And, um, yeah, it's a really, really cool process and it's, it's been around for a long time just in like the industrial sense, you know, prototyping things like that. It's been around for a long time, but the machines have gotten smaller and more accurate and cheaper, honestly. They, uh, so a lot more people can afford them and a lot more people can mess with them. But there were a few guys that I, I had followed and looked up to, like Mike O'Brien from the Roadster Shop. Um, he's just an incredible 
um, engineer and designer. Um, but he uses a lot of 3D printing and, and um, he's become a good friend of mine um, just through, through SEMA and stuff. But we got hooked up with Ultimaker for the Fiesta project. I had reached out to a couple other companies to see if they would want to be on board. And the guys from Ultimaker called me back and they're like, we're super in, send you a machine, send you some material. And, uh, they've been amazing ever since they actually date, um, got a booth at SEMA, not, not this past year, but the year before for the first time because of working with us. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So how much time does that save you on like rapid prototyping? Say you're building a, a fender vent. Uh, what's the process to build something like that all the way through to pushing it through the 3d? So the way that 3d printing helps us is that there's a couple different ways to make this one piece. So we can either make it by hand, either out of plastic or something like that, or hand fabricate it out of metal, or you can have that piece CNC out of a chunk of aluminum or a chunk of plastic. Um, but those aren't very cost effective, um, especially for single parts. You know, when, when we said in the beginning that we try not to do the same thing twice, that's really what we try to do. And, and so when you're only making one of something, it's incredibly cost effective to do it with 3d printing. And we're one of the first to, to do like end use parts that are fully finished, sanded, painted on, on the car to be used as the actual piece. Mm -hmm. And they've, they've held up really well besides the fenders out in the sun. Yeah. Well, that but, was probably just a material choice, right? If you, if you would have gone with a different material choice at the beginning, it probably wouldn't have happened. You yep, think? Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's an easy fix. Yeah. So they make like fiber infused nylon that uh, holds up really well to, to heat and to UV rays and things like that. Yeah. I work in the aerospace industry and 3d printing, stereolithography, all that sort of stuff has really, it has completely revolutionized our industry as far as for us to rapid prototype a part or even to build tooling to put something together. You can, uh, you can use a lot of SLA stuff and build some pretty nice tooling and uh, not have to worry about sending it through the CNC to, you know, take a 80-pound piece of billet and make a, you know, a three-pound piece of tooling. You know, it, it's, pre it's pretty cool stuff. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So I, I see you guys are really connected quite heavily with Ford now. Do you guys expect this relationship to continue? Well, we would hope. <laughs> well, they seem like a great company to work with. I mean, we w I go to SEMA every year, and... And I'm kind of a GM guy, but I love going to the Ford booth because they got the coolest booth there. It's in the best spot. They've got some of the nicest stuff in their booth. They, they really they really do a great job at SEMA. They have a really great team. I mean, the team that we work with, they're just amazing people. And, you know, not only do you have to you work with them professionally, but, you know, you become very good friends with them and, and talk just you know, we, we'll talk back and forth on the phone just about nothing. Just doesn't have to be business related, whatever. And that's a huge part. Just for us to, to have a relationship like that is is a big part of what we do, you know. Mm -hmm. 
so the the Ford group is literally they have a SEMA team. That's what they do year round is work on SEMA. And um and so they're like huge advocates for the builders because they have to present these cars to their bosses and then their bosses have to approve um on them and everything. And so the the better the relationship with Ford with this team, the better it is, you know, down the road too. So well, they definitely picked a good shop to work with. I mean, you, you guys have done some great work. I mean, they they, they definitely picked the right guys. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking of the right guys, this is my, my, my slick segue for the episode. Um, one, of the, one of the topics we talk about a lot on this show is, uh, you know, running the shop, the day-to-day struggles that people face. Because, you know, we, we like to try to bring that value to our listeners. Is we've got people who are in the industry, people who are just coming up in the industry. And uh, an, an interesting facet of that with you guys is the fact that um, it, it's it's a father and son pair on our show right now. And obviously, from an outsider's perspective, you know, it, it would look like you guys have kind of a legacy plan put in place. So, you know, if the day comes, you know, and, and Dave, you go, well, the hell with this, I'm going to go retire to an island somewhere. <laughs> is, is the plan kind of in place to eventually turn the reins over? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's thought like that to turn the reins over. We, we work so close together right now. Dom does his thing. I do my thing. We're just like a huge team right now. So if I think if I were to leave or he were to leave, it would be, it wouldn't be the, the same place. So I'm going to be here as long as I possibly can. And I guess we, I'm not thinking of the future as far as that goes. I'm, I'm thinking my future is just to make as many cool things as possible for as long as I possibly can. Right on. I, I hope you, I hope that's happening for a really long time. Now, not, our, not just, not just for your sake, but more of a uh, really selfish thing. Cause I just want to look at some cool stuff. <laughs> just to give you kind of a, an idea of what our property looks like. So we, I live up front. Um, my wife and I live up front of the shop. So we have our own little house. The shop is set back off the road. Um, Dom has now got married. So he moved just, a, you know, maybe five miles away. But we were, we're here. I'm here anyways in the shop till 11 every night. And that's not meaning I'm working every night. It's just that. You know, my wife is here, Dom's here, uh, my father's got his office in here, so we're we're always here, always around each other, and you know, it's it doesn't get any better than that. So I don't I don't know. I lost my train of thought where I was going, but it's just to give you an idea of how things are here. Um, it's super family oriented, and you know, my nephew is around now, working on cars and. You know, it's the kid. It doesn't get any better than that. That's outstanding because, you know, you often you think about you know where does a shop go in the future? You know, especially if uh, you know it's just it's one guy in the family who likes cars, and the rest of the family's like, well, whatever. You you guys seem to have a really great family history, and that that chemistry is unbelievable. 
I mean, then again, you guys are Italian, so that is kind of a thing. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but that's a, but that's a tough one. I mean, every day, same same deal, and to get along for the same goal. It's like we're we're shooting for the same deal. We're not trying to fight <laughs> this thing out. We're aiming for the same goal here. I'm impressed. Yeah. So exactly. maybe, maybe maybe that answers the question because the big question for me then was how do you maintain that? I mean, does, yeah. does there ever come a point when you're like, man, I could just and you know, do, do, do you walk away or do you just come out and say, look, I could just pop you one on the face right now, and you go, yeah, I get that. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I'll be honest, that that is never. We don't really we we disagree on how much work. I don't know what what do we disagree on it. So I always want to make things way more complicated than <laughs> your designer. <laughs> your goal. So yep. that's a lot more work for him. And so we just go back and forth on, okay, well, I didn't get to do this, so I want to do this to the car and all that stuff. But it's it's never never um, heated or, or anything like that. There's so much like respect between the two of us that um, you know, I respect everything that he has to say and he respects a lot of the stuff that I have to say. So, and you, you guys are able to kind of meld your businesses together. I know that you know you've got Tucci Hot Rods, and then you've got Dom's side of the business. I mean, you guys can work that without one kind of overdriving the other. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I'm busy doing the hot rod stuff, and Dom's doing design work for that. But he's also running his business, and you can explain some of the stuff that you're working on too. It's it's not even car related. Yeah, so I got um, linked up with this family a couple of years ago, um, just going through this to this certain gym that I went to, and they're like, "We need a logo for our brewery." I'm like, "Okay, sweet," and um, went and met with them, and um, I got showing them some of the stuff that I've done and that I did through school and that I'm capable of, and and the and the guy is really into cars and um, he's doing like a sort of a, like a European classics um, buying and selling business. And so I'm helping him out a little bit with that. But the main thing is the, is the brewery and I'm, I'm doing all of their marketing, all of their social media, everything to do with that. And, and that's like, just started in the past couple of weeks so it's gonna get pretty crazy coming up but um i i really enjoy not doing the same thing every day like i love to be on the computer 3d modeling 3d printing and then i'll be out in the shop and then i'll be in a meeting somewhere you know i like the the change of pace mm -hmm. awesome and good on you man wow Congratulations. That's see, that's huge. And uh, I like the fact that you're that diverse. That was, you know, that was one of the things I try to drill into people. When a lot of guys come with me, man, I, all I want to do is, you know, draw renderings all day long. And I'm thinking, no, don't, don't <laughs> waste your brain like that. And it, it's one thing, to, and I don't know if maybe some people love that every day, but you know, you've got to be diverse enough to keep your mind active I think it really helps with the creative process too, because while you're thinking of one solution on one side, your brain is off someplace else, you know, figuring other things out. And I think when you go back to it, you've got a whole fresh perspective. That's a really yeah. good thing. It's even, it works well with me too, because I'm, I mean, I'm working on cars all day long and sometimes the cars, you know, I, I can't, I hate cars some days, but I mean, I like 
exactly what I'm doing. But so, like those, uh, a guy called me from California, needed some sword uh, guards for his, they, he built some custom swords. So he needed these hand formed uh, hand guards. So I said, yeah, I'll, I'll make them for you. So, and he couldn't find anybody that, to hammer these, uh, these sword uh, hand guards out. So I, he sent me one as a prototype and I hammered him, <clears throat> excuse me, I hammered him out and I've been selling him hand guards for the past five, six years. He'll order 20, 30 at a time. And uh, he's just happy as can be. And I'm, you know, I love it because it's a little bit different pace than, you know, the, the automotive part of the it's still fabricating, but it's, it's still different. And I'll take on all kinds of crazy jobs like that too. Um, we just built a railing for a loft in downtown Utica that, um, two fabricated railings. So it's, it's fun mm -hmm. doing some. I do have a question though. Where are all yeah. these swords going? <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask that question. <laughs> Some dude's building an army out there and you're just like, Yeah, yeah. I think they actually use them for fencing. They're uh they're like vintage. Vin some vintage fencing type stuff. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Well, that's why they're making the guards. See, all the guys on the West Coast lost their fingers with the swords, see, so they keep working their way back to the East Coast. It's a right. California law. You got to wear a helmet and you got to have a sword guard <laughs> when, you, when you fence. You guess you have to stamp in like a prop 82 thing. Yeah. <laughs> prop 82 compliant. <laughs> Man, with all that stuff going on, I, I almost see a shop expansion in your future. Uh, you, have you guys outgrown the space that you currently have? Uh, we have. Um, I mean, I've been into equipment for a long time you know i i have power hammers and pull maxes and i once had a uh i don't know a q a in a at a toronto show with uh, troy trepania him and i just sat in this panel and he's like and this i don't know how many years ago this is a long time ago and he's he's talking you know and we've never really had a full conversation we've always talked and hung out but we're talking to each other on this panel for like the first time and he's telling everybody in the audience, he's like, yeah, Dave's got the most outfitted shop in the country. And I wish I had all this stuff. I'm like, what? <laughs> I never even knew he thought all that stuff, you know. So um, most of our shop is full with equipment. We have probably three or four workspace areas. And there's six cars in the shop right now. <laughs> so there's it's tight right now. But. My father had built a building in back of our shop just for winter car storage. Mm -hmm. So he puts, uh, he's got 52 cars in there with uh, 20 lifts. So they're all stacked up on top of each other. That's a pretty smart business. You think uh, yeah, it? it is. Yeah, there especially. Yes. East. I mean, so they're, they come in in November or they don't leave till April, May. So they're, they're wow. stuck. There's no, nothing to do. You can't drive these cars during our winter. It's the salt is brutal and, and all that. So. Well, I'm speaking able, of that, well, yeah. you obviously had, you had to have a winter car as a kid, right? You at least had one or two through your life. Um, I mostly had trucks cause growing up I was, I was 
you know, working on the appliances. Mm, and uh, plowed. I plowed from, God, when I was 17, I plowed snow. And wow. I did that for a business um, for a while just because it was fun and I like being out and about and driving around. So, so um, no joy in looking for a $150 thrasher that had like, you know, <laughs> no, frame was, rails that kind of held together and maybe a heater? No, I'm, I don't like rusty cars. I don't like working on them now. And I don't like having them. They're just a terrible, terrible thing. Oh. I, I just, I wanted to bring that up because every time I talk to someone from the Rust Belt, it's like, did you have a winter car? And because uh, out here, you can't even begin to describe that to someone. They're like, what is this winter you speak of? Yeah. It's it's brutal. It's, I don't, we, we were driving up one of our roads the other day. Now it's been cold here for the past couple of days and it's been dry. So all the salt on the road. So picture driving through the desert in the coming up. That's what it's like driving on the roads here. The, the salt dust is on everything. We drive by the dealerships. You can't even tell what color the cars are sitting in the lot. There's oh. so much salt dust. So it's like oh. Bonneville without the cool factor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it just it eats everything away. And then the, the cars that they're making now, it just doesn't hold up. And I don't think they ever test anything in the Northeast for saltware or any of that. I like to know where they test them because they certainly don't test them, you know, properly out here for heat. No. <laughs> There's Must just be. no way. I, I don't get, you know, technology has come so far that we can have a battery that lasts for, you know, 30 years. We can have a thermos that keeps your coffee hot for, you know, three days. But we can't figure out another alternative besides salt. Yeah. I know. That's They're like, starting yeah. to uh, put liquid brine, I think they call it, around here. They pre-line the roads with this liquid stuff, but hmm. not sure if that's any better. Yeah, that'd be great. The roads smell like pickles for like two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> if it's the crap they use in Oregon, it will destroy a set of aluminum wheels. You know, oh, you don't yeah. want to ask me how I know. <laughs> well, we have uh, we have re wheel conditioning companies here that'll go to the dealerships and break down wheels, uh, clean them, paint them, and put them all back together in the lots of these these dealerships. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's nuts. But I, I I wouldn't move anywhere else. There, we're big snowmobilers. Um, I sh I shot you a couple pictures of uh, of us. We're I don't know. We're adrenaline junkies a little bit. To I saw, yeah, the the one there was some pretty big air getting taken off of that to the quad. So I, I sent them one. We, that was me on the Odyssey and Dom on the four wheeler. Jeez. We're both into that type of stuff. How much shorter were you after landing that one? <laughs> <laughs> I can't get any shorter than I am now. I look like I'm standing in a hole when I'm standing next to Dom. <laughs> so let's, I, I hate asking the typical questions, but if you had to choose a, uh, one of the builds that have come out of the shop, and I'm going to ask this of both of you guys, 
do, do you have a do you have a favorite one you look back on fondly? I mean, I know we talked about the green GMC. There, there's got to be a fondness for that one because you know it's kind of the one that started it all. Yeah. But do you have one that maybe you look back on, and and if so, why why that one in particular? Oh, it's kind of a loaded question because I think the my favorite car is the one we just finished last type of thing. Right but on. so we built a 35 Ford three window coupe and this is a, it's kind of a sore subject. It was a Riddler grade eight car that we built. And that was a beautiful car by the way. And I put my, we, it took us nine years to build that car. And I put my heart and soul into that car. We, it was, it was nuts. Every single thing on that car I thought of and modified or made from scratch or now you probably don't know exactly what we will make everything in house. We do everything here, but paint and upholstery other than like CNC machining and stuff. So every bracket, every thing, every piece of wire, all that stuff we do in house. So when you work on something for nine years, and you think of every nook and cranny that you could make correct or do this. I mean, that was a something I got the advantage or got the opportunity to do, and I'm grateful for that part. But the rest of it was was a horrible experience. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that car. The, oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say on that car. Correct me if I'm wrong. The windshield on that car. Yep. I'm trying to think back. Wasn't that cut from like a uh, like an S10 pickup windshield or something? Did I hear that wrong? Or no, for, Ford Ranger. Right. Okay. There we go. So how I came to that is I, you know, I wanted a certain curve that I had made up in my head and made the curve at the shop based off of the A pillars. So I made the curve and then walked the junkyards, the, our local junkyards, and just walked them and kept putting this little pattern up against the glass and. And I finally walked up to this Ranger, and the thing fit, like, perfect. I'm like, great. And these Ranger windshields, you can buy them brand new. I think they were $78 or some crazy thing. <laughs> so I bought a bunch of those because I was, I was also in the glass business. My uncle owned, owned the glass shop. So when I was in high school, I helped him while I was working on washing machines. I'd go over there and do commercial glass work and cut glass and do all that. So I learned all that part of it. So I cut my own windshields and, uh, that's how that windshield came about just by, uh, kind of a trial and error thing, not being afraid to go out there and, you know, well, know this a is a big question of being around guys that, that chop tops. How many windshields did you go through to make that one? Um, I probably went through maybe three or four or something like that. And I, cool. I would use, I would use used ones. So I'd go grab them out of the yard and, you know, cause I knew they were going to probably break or, you know, I'd bang on them or whatever. Right. Uh, so I would just go do that. And then I think I made two really good ones and, um, you know, I just kept one for a spare and, and we had installed that windshield with no, uh, no molding on it. It was, you know, like they do now, the glass edge was kind of exposed. So that, windshield and that frame in the windshield frame had to be perfect um 
so that was that was pretty time consuming. And then we built the whole rest of the car around the windshield, the roof, the A pillars, the firewall, the <laughs> door jams. Everything was built. I had freestanded like that windshield. I built a eighth inch plate, the same shape as the windshield, and then welded that into the car with all the structure, and then built everything around it from there. Oh, I, I picture I'm like blown a, away. <laughs> I'm picturing like a Crass and Bernie cartoon, where it's like you know, you're talking on the phone to the customer. He's like, "Well, how long till I get my car?" And you're like, "As soon as we get the roof done." And all it is is like all these broken windshields laying around. <laughs> <laughs> that's just crazy. This is the shape I want. I'm gonna build the car around this shape. That's that's pretty badass, actually. But that's awesome, and that that's a real. Thank you. That gave us. That gave me a total insight to how your brain works on design. Well, that's that's where you know, we did the same thing with the Nomad. Remember the Nomad we built? Oh yeah, I love that car. Yeah, right. Yeah, very cool car. So that had a '64 Impala windshield in it. Right on. How did you come? How did you come to that? Because I had a '64 Impala sitting in the shop, and customer well. You know, profile rate, because we were talking, I think uh, Tim was talking about the BMX part. So we grew up in BMX racing and stuff. And I used to use profile cranks and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, I don't know how I, so Jim Alley from Profile Racing, I had bought a set of sheet metal sweeps, which are um, CNC radius um, gauges to when I was, uh, doing the shape, the metal shaping. So I started talking to him and we were going back and forth about cars. And he's like, I got this nomad I want to do. So I think I'll send it up to you. And he's got this crazy rear end. So he had the car and this full billet. Um, it was a, uh, I don't know, it was a full billet rear end that he wanted to put in it. So we built everything around it. He goes, I think I want to change the windshield. And I, I told him, I said, I had the perfect windshield for it. I didn't even have the car or I didn't have anything. So I didn't know if it was going to fit or not. And uh, we had a junkyard around here with older cars in it. So I cut the the roof and down onto the firewall out of this 64 Impala because um, the rest of it was rusty because we're in the Northeast, right? So nothing, the rest of it was junk. And we slowly morphed this windshield into the the windshield of the 55 and uh i think so the windshield is not chopped at all it's narrowed about three quarters of an inch just on the top of each side of the glass and that's how it it was able to fit so it was like cab cab forward type of thing so the windshield was forward um more uh, more than the 55 was right on and uh, and then we built so once that was in place then we built a roof and everything to it but that car wasn't chopped at all that was all stock yeah, just putting a slanted windshield on that thing made all the it made that car look completely different than a, than a standard nomad i love that car i thought that car was so cool thanks we took the roof skin off of that though and chopped an inch and a half off the skin i was gonna ask crown, crown, crown at all because it, it had yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then the paint job on it, the way it comes down, it almost makes the front droop a little bit and the rear droop. A little. It has yeah. that gives it that impression, and it just makes the car look completely different. Looks like now, a wedge section without that. Yeah. Thing. yeah. Uh, my painter did that. He was like, I didn't know what to do. You had so many lines going on. I don't know where to bring this. Line. And the customer definitely wanted a two-tone. And uh, he uh, he was able to make that line. That, um, um, that's cool. You remember that uh, that yeah. line? Yeah, because it just made the it made it look like the front was wedge cut and the back looked like it was wedge cut. It just gave the car a completely different look. It is uh, that's one of the things that caught me about that car originally. I never caught the uh, the the windshield after all. It took me a while to figure it out, <laughs> but it was so well integrated. It just didn't look like it was you know added on. It was just it worked. Thank you. I'm still digging the whole windshield thing. I mean, instead of building, this is seriously because you see guys, they, uh, you know, they'll, they'll cut a car all up and then they have to have glass made. Right. I mean, they got to go to all this effort and, you know, then if you break it, then you're screwed because you got, you know, three grand in this windshield and you're going, I got to make this thing all over again. Well, you're starting with something that already exists. So if you need another one, you just go get another one. That's actually it's actually that, a brilliant idea. And I love the fact you're going through the wrecking yards, man. That is oh, a lost man. art. I Absolutely. love it. We do. We still do it today. I mean, we have a couple yards that are they're kind of dwindling, and they're not really open for business. But we've become friends with them so long that uh, we were able to go up there. I think we. I just went up there Sunday, pull a back glass out of a 60, 60 Impala for a friend of mine. <laughs> that was that was fun in zero degree weather. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. I'm waiting for the day when, like with today, because you can go through and get acrylic glass made, you know, to order. I'm just waiting for the day when there's a panel and there's a group of guys going, in my day, we had to go to the wrecking yard and find a windshield that had the right arc. Yeah, I think, God, I think that's so awesome. And Remember when the Tucci's were in the hospital with frostbite trying to get that windshield <laughs> to their <laughs> He thought he was cutting the post, but he actually <laughs> cut his arm off. He didn't even feel it. <laughs> They say if all goes well, he'll grow fingernails again. <laughs> we did a lot of cars like that. We started with a windshield. My copper roadster, that had a uh, Volvo. Let's see. No, Volvo windshield. No, Saab. I had a Saab windshield. Wicked wraparound windshield. Right. Like that Saab 90. I cut the bottom half of that windshield off, and that was my in my roadster. Jeez. And that was a car that awesome. had a really cool stance to it. Yeah, that was a car that kind of came together in a very weird way. It was, I built the car. I had an investor that helped us build it. And, uh, and then we took it to Barrett and it just, it was, that was a weird experience too. I realized that Barrett Jackson didn't, didn't really have anything to do with the cars. <laughs> it was it was crazy. Yeah, that's that's kind of the place. Uh, that's kind of the place to be if you have really bedazzled jeans and a very tight T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I definitely appreciate some of the cars that go through there, though. There's some really neat old stuff, but the whole process was was just I don't know. One of those things you don't you do once and you've done it, and you know you try not to get back there again. Right on. It, it makes for a crazy week out here because that's that's the biggest one. 
And then there's right. like a hundred smaller auctions going on. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's it's even funnier to watch on the local side. Like in, in my neck of the woods, I mean, I'm only like 20, 25 minutes away from Barrett-Jackson. But you get out here and everybody and their grandmother's having an auction. It's, you know, it suddenly becomes like, you know, the Southeast Valley classic car auction. And you go there and there's like two, you know, 87 Dodge Omnis. <laughs> Neither one's a GLHS. <laughs> a couple used cop cars. And they try to pawn something off. It's like this car, you can see it in the background. They show you a scene from IMDb of like Terminator 2. And there's a station wagon that you can barely make out the front bumper on. It's like, this is the car. It's documented. It's pretty horrible. Uh, actually, that's pretty mean of me to make fun of the local economy. That's all I got. Well, the station wagons. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're hot this year. So, Dom. <coughs> yes. Growing up around it like that, uh, what was your favorite car to see come out of the shop? Do you have one or? Um, the Nomad was super wild. That was like the first car that we kind of got into turbocharging on and that was scary fast that had a twin turbo 502 in it and uh, it was pretty wild <laughs> and it had it had 22s on the back 22s and 20s 22s and 20s and um i think you were tuning it and uh you said at 80 miles an hour yeah that's when it started making power and that's when it started to Smoke the tires at 80. I like. <laughs> I like. <laughs> so that was that was a super fun car. The the um, 31 Model A was like, well, the the giveaway Mustang for Syracuse. Oh, yeah. So Syracuse Nationals, we've been with them from the beginning. This is our 20th anniversary. Um, and we built 11 giveaway cars. 10? 10. 10 for Syracuse. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, yeah. We're building we, another one this year. Yeah, we're building another one for the 20th anniversary. Wait, so, are you allowed to say what it is? Yeah. Uh, we're doing a 32 Ford. So, they, the first giveaway car was a, a yellow 32 High Boy, like pretty traditional looking. And um, they wanted to do sort of a throwback to that. We're not going to build just another one of those. So we're going to do like an independent push rod front suspension and then the 3.5 EcoBoost twin turbo out of the F-150 with a manual trans and um, do it kind of road race style just because I think that would be fun. And Way you guys cool. you guys are the first ones to hear that out loud. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, that. That Mustang though, that thing was bad. Yeah, that was wow. That was a crazy, crazy car. So that I don't know. That just came together like one of those things. You know, you meet this person, meet that person, and um, Kyle Tucker ended up stepping up and supplying all the front and rear suspension for that car, which was their new aluminum subframe independent coilover rear four link. I mean, state of the art stuff that we put in this car. Um, and then we built a, uh, a single overhead cam supercharged. It was a delivered cam. Oh, it was, oh, it was a, 
4.6. Oh, yeah, 4.6. Supercharged six. out of the Celine Mustang. There's so only like two valves, though. Two valve. Two valve. Newer mod. Is that still a mod motor? No, it was a single overhead cam, I think, on those. No, that was a dual. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. Remember earlier yeah. that whole thing about not button heads? <laughs> but we uh, we ended up giving that away, and like some of these, some of the guys that win cars, and we we've been very fortunate to have the winners be amazing people. And you know, this was another one of those cars where it was given away, and we're like, here's the keys. No, just kidding. You can't have it for a year. You know, so we kept it for a year. Brought it to SEMA, ran the the Optima series, went two or three events. Two. One in one in Pittsburgh, and then you did the um, the Invitational. The Invitational in Vegas. Yeah, we got the invite to go to the Invitational, and was in the Optima booth um, in uh, in Vegas with the with the Mustang, which was just crazy amazing. And then we raced that out there, and we did a bunch of shows and some some autocrosses with it. Um, that actually how we finished that car was, was pretty funny. Oh yeah. So all of these seem to end with a ridiculous story, but, um, <laughs> so Columbus is the week before Syracuse nationals usually the weekend before. And we never really get to make it out there because we're usually thrashing on a car for Syracuse. So for some reason, we decided to try to finish this one for Columbus instead of Syracuse. And um, it was getting pretty down to the wire. And we were putting you know, the vinyl on um, bef- like right before it went into the trailer. And we, we got to a point where we were like, okay, we can either you know, attempt to do this or just not worry about it, get it done for Syracuse, and, uh, and just have a little bit of time. So we're like, let's try to get to Columbus. So we finish up the car, end up driving nine hours through the middle of the night, get there in the morning um, in Columbus. And we haven't driven the car yet on the road. It's been built in the shop, and then we bring it. Yeah, we the- backed it out of, the, out of the shop and then drove it in the trailer. There's literally 10 feet on it. We get to Columbus. We're we trying to. Yeah, we gotta drive 20 minutes to the fairgrounds on the highway. <laughs> so we realized the car is just a touch low. Pull it down, <laughs> a little bit, and then sleep on the way into the show in the passenger seat of the car. And uh, yeah, it was pretty wild. Yeah, we ended up running it at the first street machine of the year in the autocross deal, mm-hmm. um, and it. It worked great. It was it was silly. Yeah. And then we put it back in the trailer and we gave it away the following week in Syracuse. After beating up. That's our main objective right now is every car that we build, the customer has to beat on it. (laughs) And it's just they have to not beat on it, but they have to drive it as hard as it was really built for, you know, we want to, we want our customers to absolutely enjoy everything and, you know, just have as much fun as possible. But also keep a super high end end built. Right. So have a nice balance of uh, high end 
piece that is still fully functional. Right on. I, and I love the fact that you two combining forces like that. I mean, someone who goes to your shop, and I say someone because I, believe me, if I win, if I come into some money, I'm going to be knocking on your door. You guys can shut the lights off and close the curtains, pretend you're not there. But I'll know because I've listened to this podcast and I know you're there till 11. But uh, right. And you live out front. Yep. <laughs> Start knocking on all the doors. Then I'll go around back. But um, I, He's I just, just going to want an 87 Dodge Omni, so don't, don't uh, hold on, guys. It's going to be an easy build. It's going to be so <laughs> badass, though. <laughs> but I was going to say, was, I mean, somebody who comes to you now, they're obviously getting a car that really encompasses the best possible situation of both worlds. I mean... That kind of that traditional craftsmanship combined with really forward thinking all mixed together with, you know, that, that whole attitude of please take this out and just beat the hell out of it. Yeah. That's really killer. I think you guys really embody the, the real spirit of what this thing should be. And thank, thank you. you for that. Thanks for doing that. <laughs> it's uh, It's just more fun for us to be able to, you know, to build these with a customer and, and be able to drive them and experience them. Um, that's, that's my end goal. When I'm thinking of a project, I want to drive it at, at the end. That is overarching the main thing that I'm focused on. Right on. And that's, oh, that's all the Ford, all the Ford cars that we do are super purpose built. You know I mean? Like the Fiesta it is a full fledged race car and we built it like that and using it for that. And, you know, he's racing it now. It's, it's just, it's an amazing handling car. And this is, and the whole design just came out of our heads. It's just, you know, I'm not anything we engine, we're not engineers, but I think we, you know, we are more engineers than we, than we know people that are engineers sometimes. Um, the Mustang, you know, I had 15 miles on it. We took it to the Texas Mile, and my the uh, 2018 Mustang. Yeah, the 2018 Mustang. Um, I brought it to Texas Mile. I had 15 miles on it or so, and I go out there in the first pass. It goes 181 mile an hour. Oh, oh dude! <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I'm digging it. <laughs> So, but you know, we, we trust what we build and we're in there driving them ourselves. So, you know, we definitely, the, um, sorry to cut you off, no. but the, the Fiesta was another fun, like right at the last second sort of build that, um, we got a golden ticket with that, um, for Optima and we have two miles on the car. One, like we just went down to the local, um, uh, mechanic shop put a quick alignment on it and then drove it back to the shop. And that was like the only real miles we had on it. And we just started beating on it on the racetrack and we broke every single motor mount on the car. <laughs> <laughs> but everything that we, that we did held together pretty well. So, yep. It was all the stock stuff that was, we were breaking and I didn't want to give up because that's, me, I don't ever want to give up. So I'm in there and I'm ratchet strapping the motor down to the chassis and, you know, 
So you're good. Go try this one out. Let's and then try this. He comes back and all the ratchet straps are broke and the thing's all wound up and around there. And finally we had to we had to throw in a towel because we couldn't find any more parts and it, it would have just been breaking everything. So when we got home, we redesigned all the all the engine mounts and all that stuff and some of the suspension pieces. And that car has been through it though. That car was on fire for a little bit. That race. Yeah. One of, oh, this is a really crazy story too. So did you know that coolant is flammable? No, no. Okay, it is. So be careful. <laughs> so I'll tell you how it's flammable. There's this is like the perfect storm. So the back of the fiesta on the firewall, the turbo's mounted. On that same motor, there's a steam line that runs from the cylinder head to the front, like the radiator. And that steam line is made out of that airline material, that plastic material. Oh, that crappy, like, DOT stuff? Yeah, so he's oh. running out on a road course, and the thing's getting warm, so he just brings it in to the pit. Well, when he pulls it into the pit, the heat rises up, the pressure from the motor being warm springs a pinhole leak in this plastic line and it starts spraying on now we had the headers the header the downpipe everything was coated it's wrapped it's wrapped in the um titanium exhaust wrap yeah so that all got coated with this mist this super fine mist of coolant that basically boiled off the water that was in the coolant and just left the straight alcohol or the glycol wow and that burst that like flamed up so now the car is kind of hot steaming and it's just spraying it's like feeding the fire we <laughs> need five ex fire extinguishers on there <coughs> thought it was a fuel line that was spraying it it was feeding it that much Whoa. Uh, and if, if all we really had to do was you know, undo the radiator cap and let all the pressure out and it would have went out. But at that time we had no idea that that could have possibly happened. We, we researched it all on the way home, driving home from Jersey and found out that that's what was feeding the fire. Wow. That's scary. You shut the engine off and it's still coming. Oh yeah. Cause it oh, was man. Like, what do I do now? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, There's we people out back cutting wires and stuff, trying to <laughs> oh, no. shut the thing down. Yeah, it was it was, <laughs> it was scary, crazy. but um, we, we saved the car and we, it just got dirty more than anything, and um, we ended up redoing all that stuff and changing some of the locations. You know, I guess you learn, but it's just a tough way to learn. Hey guys, thank you very much. This yeah. is this has been this has been some great fun stuff. Wait, absolutely. So I'd like to have you guys back after the Syracuse Nationals and talk a little bit more because there's a lot of stuff I want to get into. But I figured that might be a good time to do it, like after the giveaway, and yeah, talk sure. a little bit more about that if you guys are up. Yeah, yeah, we have 21 years of stories. <laughs> <laughs> Works out good because I've got a fresh hard drive here just waiting to swallow <laughs> stories. So. But thank you guys. I mean, it's and thank you for being. You are our well, you're our first multi generational episode. This is uh, I, I would have baked a cake, but um, <laughs> next time. 
Indeed. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank, thanks for joining us and, and taking time out of your evening. I know it's getting late out there. So yeah. You guys yeah. Go to bed. It's, not, it's almost 11. It's about sleep. time to close up the shop, huh? Right. <laughs> Still got to fill the wood stove full of wood, though. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Whose turn is it to go out in the snow and get wood? Oh, my nephew got it earlier, so he was my wood guy today. <laughs> Well played. Who gets to stay there overnight and stoke the fire? Actually, we have a most efficient wood stove. I fill it once at night, and I don't fill it till the following night. Whoa. It keeps nice. up at 68 degrees, somewhere around there. That's nice. There's barely any ash left. Yeah, no ash left in there. It's just I have so many metal equipment and everything. It just holds the heat. Wow. It's a nice, relaxed atmosphere. You know, the... And I have a whole different outlook on how your shop is just a bunch of guys sitting around smoking jackets in front of the fire. <laughs> yeah. well, I see how it goes. He takes a nap about six o'clock. That's why he's there till 11. <laughs> oh, comfy. I, I know how I'm Photoshopping <laughs> together the episode art for this one. <laughs> well, thank you guys. Yeah. And th- thank, thank your, thank your wives for allowing yeah. you guys to hang out with, uh, with us. Oh yeah. yeah. We appreciate uh, having us on. It's yeah, this was fun. This well, I was looking forward to this like for a month since I talked to you. It's been uh, it's been very exciting. Well, awesome. Cool. Yeah. Thank we you. as well. I'm glad you guys did it. It's it's, it's a pleasure to have you guys on. And uh, well, heck yeah, we. Will you guys win. gonna make it out to the Grand National? No, we're not gonna make it out there. We're we got a bunch of stuff that we got going on here, but it's uh, we have a lot of future stuff that we would like to share you as soon as we can share it with you we will uh we'll come back on there's a lot of exciting stuff happening here besides all the cars that we're building right now be great please so, do yeah like i yeah. said if you guys just want to come on and do you know how we'll just have you on for a little we'll, we'll do little tucci update episodes <laughs> yeah. that'd be fun now, this is, you know what I, I'm, I'm gonna propose this right now in front of the group you know i know we normally do this off air but the hell with it we should do an extra episode every few weeks. We'll do a Tucci Tuesday update. <laughs> yeah. Tucci Tuesday. This nice. could be good. We'll do our usual Friday episode. We'll throw in a Tucci Tuesdays. This is perfect. <laughs> Sounds awesome. I'm in. Uh, I like it. Yeah, I do too. Well, great. Well, thank you guys. Sounds good. I appreciate it. You guys have a great week. And uh, we will talk with you guys, uh, well, heck, real soon. All right. Sounds good. All right, guys. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good night. Thank you, too. See you. Big thanks again to our guests, uh, Dave and Dom Tucci, uh, for joining us tonight, man. I've been looking forward to this. For a long time, <laughs> it was great. I, I, it was it was fun listening to those guys talk. And, and if, if anybody says that a father and son team out of New York, uh, they don't get along, well, they don't know these guys. <laughs> I was really hoping, deep down inside, part of me wanted that whole Jerry Springer esque kind of you know, <laughs> you, you got two Some generations of Italians to come out. They're gonna hate each other, and instead, no. I think it's better to hear they they really. They uh, they sound like father and son, but on the same token, they sound like two really focused business partners. Right, right, yeah. It's I I I sense this. There's no um, hierarchy in the shop. That's kind of the way I 
kind of sensed it. Uh, those guys work on an even plane with each other. You know, they look eye to eye with each other, which is great. And I think that's probably why they do what they do. I think that really illustrates kind of the whole hot rod thing. There, there's a lot of earned respect there. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That's and it's funny because that's how it works in this whole thing. I mean, as a kid, you grow up hanging around the garage with older guys. You've got to earn that respect. And, no. and I dig the fact that Dom's got his own thing kind of going on. And I just think that's awesome. I mean, you, and he, oh. he's kind of moving it in a different direction. And uh, and they still kind of work it out together. I think that's I think that's phenomenal. And and Brian, if you want to use the uh, the term that we hate so much in your little in your little notes though about in house, because <laughs> that's truly in house. That's the first time we've had mm-hmm. somebody that actually designs the same shit they build. That's pretty badass. That's that, in house. Mm-hmm. That that's the mm-hmm. benchmark I think for what we should propose to. And I I was I was so tempted when he was talking about the green truck. I was going to say, so now try to imagine in an alternate universe that truck so popular with the magazines, but they never mention your name. What then? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Whole different and that's a, That was the th- first time I'd ever heard their name. I don't know if they've been out before. That's the first time I'd ever heard about them was that green truck. Uh, that's one g- I kind of heard them as well, that's, uh, for sure. That was the beginning of it for me. And yeah. I remember going, this truck is so cool, and it was so out there. And that truck really... It was funny because it was wasn't too long after that you had that whole coast to coast body thing going on, right? That mm-hmm. had kind of a an eerily similar look. Yeah, and then but there there's definitely you look at that thing that really has what what could be considered I guess you know kind of a Tucci look. Mm-hmm. Well, it, yes, it's 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 funny because it's kind of East Coast but kind of not. It's just kind of their thing. Yeah, I like it. It was a little, it was a little weird for me, but it was pretty bitching at the same time. You know, I love the rear fenders on that. Yeah, they just hung, oh, that was just bitching. They, they swoop way back. Yeah, it was like really cool. Fenders bitching, yes. Yeah, and for the time, man, those were big by gargantuan wheels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh man, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing like that existed. And yeah, uh, yeah, we could go on for hours about this. Read my dissertation online. At... Yeah. Holy moly. But thank you again. Uh, man. I don't want to cut you guys short at all on that. But no, it's all good. I just, I just, I, I cannot say thanks enough. Uh, great yeah. friends over the years. Such great people. And again, I, I was dead serious when I said it. Uh, let, let's look for, let's do some little Tucci updates. I think this will be fun. Yeah. Yeah, because I think there's a lot going on in that shop that they really didn't go into detail about. But it would be really fun to talk about some of that stuff if they have the liberty to talk about it. I would love to explore that further. And hey, it was a it, <laughs> it's a round six first. Yeah, you heard it first about the uh, the Syracuse giveaway car. So wow, mm-hmm. look at look at us breaking news as opposed to breaking wind. Which coincidentally to build is the name that of many giveaway cars, man, that is just awesome. That is pretty crazy in itself. That is yes. awesome. That's very cool. That's having a great connection with your uh, with your sponsors yeah. to work that out. That's I wanted to ask the question: What does it take to? Uh, what do you have to do to uh, be in the running for a car like that? I mean, do you have to be there? Do you have to buy? Can you buy a ticket online? I meant to ask that question. Well, let's find yeah. out and get that into the show notes. Yeah, yeah, because it'd be kind of interesting. You know, do you have to be there when they draw it? Yeah. Who knows? You uh, you have to show up dressed as Ethel Merman. It's right here in the room. Done. Done. Swim cap and all. 
Castle Merman. <laughs> Come on, we got we've got to make our own callbacks, man. We have a lot. Castle Merman, nice. Alrighty, as always, thank you for listening. Uh, we can't begin to express to you guys how much we appreciate uh, you guys for listening and spreading the word. Um, that was one of the things uh, Dave and I had talked before the show, and he had mentioned that you know, they spent a lot of time spreading the word out there. And thank you guys. Uh, thanks for giving us a listen, and look for a whole lot more to come. We're uh, the beginning of this year, man. We are what? We're two episodes in, and it's only looking to get huge this year so good to have you guys along for the ride for sure and uh, that's unbelievable man for sure whatever alex okay so uh at the end of this show <laughs> i am i didn't a... want to steal your thunder i didn't you, know. <laughs> I, it you said so thunder. well i just I, I just agreed well thanks you should have said thunder. i concur with the last statement Oh, it's gonna go like that. Okay, see, remember before we talked about not having friction and people not arguing, dude. It's <laughs> too late. Arguing. I'm just um... <laughs> as a kid. Did you ever play Mike Tyson's Punch Out? Because that's what our booth is gonna be like. Anyway, um... <laughs> it'd be Glass <laughs> Joe. <laughs> was that the first guy? It was Glass Joe, right? <laughs> Joe. Yeah, you can like. <laughs> wow. Uh, bald bull. Um, I remember I'm all those guys. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, uh, at the end of uh, a, a wonderful episode 42, I am a still rust free Brian. Ooh. Wow. I am, uh, I'm a frozen solid Brad. And I'm a saltier Alex. I'd say so. I concur. (laughs) (laughs) Good night. (laughs) Bye. Thanks again for listening. And be sure to keep up with us gearheads over on our website at www.round6pod.com. And if you'd like to, we invite you to follow along with us over on Facebook, Instagram, and be sure to check out all of our latest videos on YouTube.com. <laughs>